Hello and welcome to The Wardroom, a podcast dedicated to the leadership development of the U.S. Navy's engineering duty officers. I'm your host, Lieutenant Commander Matthew Horton. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Vice Admiral John Hill. Admiral Hill is a native Texan, born and raised on Fort Bliss. His previous flag assignments include Program Executive Officer for Integrated Warfare Systems and Deputy Director of the Missile Defense Agency, and I had the good fortune to witness him assume the mantle as the 11th Director of the Missile Defense Agency in July of 2019. So grab a cup of coffee and join us in the wardroom. Admiral Hill, good to see you again, and welcome to the wardroom. Hey, uh, great, uh, Matt. Uh, thanks. Uh, always nice being welcomed. So I, I guess I'll start with uh, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, uh, depending on where you're at uh, when you're listening uh, to this podcast. I will also confess this is my first podcast, so uh, I really just don't know what I'm doing, but I'll uh, do the best I can. Um, so I know the topic is leadership, and so I'm going to kind of give you my view over the course of the next uh, 10 minutes or so, and then uh, take any questions that, that you might have. Um, so I'll go ahead and get started with, uh, you know, going way back uh, to, you know, your early early part in life, right? Uh, it's, it's really interesting when you, when you come into the Navy, uh, there is an assumption that you need to be taught how to lead. Uh, my view has always been that we're all leaders and you were a leader the day you popped out into the maternity ward. And what I mean by that is you had an influence on your parents back then. You may not have realized that, uh, but I remember getting uh, leadership advice uh, when I was in second grade, uh, the time that I uh, was able to pick the folks on my kickball team. Uh, I remember getting advice, uh, you know, coming up as a Cub Scout. I uh, got advice uh, coming through high school. My band director was really big on leadership traits. And so we all have a, uh, you know, different brew pot of uh, leadership advice that uh, we've either taken on or we've written down as something to not do just by observing uh, other leadership styles. And so my first point to you is that leadership is really something that evolves uh, because you as a human being are evolving all the time. And the thing to remember, and I think a lot of people forget, is that leadership also changes in the people that you're leading. So they're evolving as you go. And then the most important thing, of course, is the environment in which you operate, which is constantly changing. So that's going to have an effect on your leadership style and your leadership approaches. So you're evolving as a leader, your team's evolving, and the situations are constantly changing. Let me shift gears a little bit to something that we talk about all the time within the engineering community. I think I've heard this since I was a lieutenant, which was, you know, who are we? Right. So you'll hear everything from we're technical leaders to we're business integrators. You know, during the time when everyone's getting pushed to get a uh, master's in business administration, technical leaders and business integrators. And then everyone always ends a sentence with, well, you're a naval officer first. Well, I believe that to be true. We should never forget our roots as naval officers, particularly those, you know, on the active duty side, uh, we're all wearing warfare pins. We've gone through uh, master's degrees in technical areas. So the technical leaders and the naval officer thing all makes sense to me. But when you really think about it, you are a human being. You're a human being living within a community. And so one of the points I want to make with you is the relationships are absolutely critical throughout your life, whether you're at home or if you're in the office, driving in your car, relationships are important. And you need to get comfortable building relationships at all levels within the organization. And we don't talk about that very often. In fact, I had a conversation with my daughter the other night. She was struggling with her relationship within our own family. And I, the recommendation I made to her is the same recommendation my wife made to me. Honey, you need to listen more. There was such great power in listening. Uh, someone said once that we have two, two ears and one mouth for a reason. We should be listening more than we talk. So I told my daughter, I said, you should listen. Uh, the second thing you should do is think of questions you would ask that would not make your point, 
but the question that would extend that conversation. And then the third thing to do, throw in a compliment. And she was kind of surprised by that, right? Because typically we can get into a tough conversation or you have a conflict going on. We get focused in on winning and winning the conversation isn't the point. You're really trying to build a relationship, whether it's a positive one, a challenging relationship, a caustic relationship. You want to turn that around because that's what you need to do as a leader in any organization. So I think you should listen, ask questions to extend the conversation, and then drop a compliment. Now, let me switch on over to mentoring. So mentoring has been institutionalized, not only in the engineering community, but within the Navy. So I know many of you probably think of mentoring as a requirement, something you have to do. You get a list of names of people you're supposed to call once a year, whatever the periodicity is. We count the numbers. We talk about the percentages of people mentored. And you have to ask yourself, how effective is that? I want to turn that around a little bit for you and view mentoring as an opportunity. Back to the core principle of building relationships, not just at the singular level, but also at the team level. And I'll tell you why. At the end of the day, your team, your peers, your boss, and even other organizations, they are going to decide whether or not you can be trusted. And that's what it's really about. And so if you're not working on relationships in all directions, you're not building that fundamental trust that people will have in you, and you're not demonstrating that you have a relationship that's built on respect and that comes through your whole organization. So let me switch over now and talk a little bit about my leadership precepts. I talk about this at the basic course. I talk about it at the senior course. And if you were to see me speak or hear me talk over those times and over the years, you'll notice that that changes. Back to my point about how we're all evolving as leaders. So this morning, I snapped the chalk line and said, all right, what are my three precepts? I dig the rule of three because it's something I can remember. The first one for me is time. And I'm going to come back to that in just a second. The second one is the team. And the third one is character. So let me start with time. I like to tell people that time is the only currency you have in this corrupt world. You have a lot of control over what you spend your time on, right? It's all about priority. You should avoid distractions. And one of the key points is that your public life should equal your personal life. Splitting yourself in half, thinking that you're going to be different at home than the way you are at work is a dangerous place to be. In fact, being inconsistent is never good. So managing your time and being a singular leader is what's really important. And then the other thing is just so fundamental. My mom told me this probably when I was in second grade. If it's not scheduled, it doesn't happen. And so I schedule things to set my priorities, and that's pretty key. So time being the first one. Let's talk a little bit about the team. So amazingly enough, all of us who do our different tours throughout the Navy in different places, you always walk away thinking about all your great accomplishments, right? I'm really excited about the time when I was the Aegis program manager. We put baseline nine to see. The question is, will I be remembered for that or will I be remembered for how I made my people feel? I think it's the latter. In fact, any note I get from anybody I served with back in those days, it's always about our relationship. So people remember how you make them feel. Uh, you should, again, think about questions you should ask, not comments you should make. And then this one of my favorite comments was made by Vice Admiral Sullivan uh, years ago. He said, John, you should always be hard on issues and soft on people. Now, I will tell you the reason these are my precepts is because I'm constantly looking to make myself better. So those of you who know me know that I have failed in many of these areas before. My wife will be the first one to say, I, I'm not in control of my schedule. My wife will be the first one to say, I'm not building those relationships. I'm not listening to her. 
So I still have work to do. But let me get to the third point of character. And this is a key part of my command philosophy. And I'll talk more about command philosophy in just a bit. But I do believe that you are defined by your decisions. People are watching you. They're going to see the decisions you make. And then your decisions are going to drive your actions. They're watching the actions you take. And it's quite simple that your actions define your character. So that's uh, those are my three leadership points. Time, taking care of your team, and guarding your character. So I'm going to end up here with uh, building a leaderful organization. I love that word. My director for operations talks about it all the time. Are you being leaderful? And do we have a leaderful uh, organization? So for me, it's always started with the mission. And I like to have a simple, clear mission. And you should talk about it often with your people so that everyone understands what you're trying to do. You should also set your priorities. I keep, no kidding, three sets of priorities. My mission statement, three key points, because I can remember them, I can repeat them back. That's how I know when I'm in the channel doing things that I should be doing. You should publish your command philosophy. If you don't have a command philosophy, I recommend that you that you get one, right? So mine is warfighter first, the second one is relationship, and then the third piece is professionalism. And I fall back on my command philosophy on a daily basis, particularly when times get hard or I'm in a situation I don't understand. I go back and I ask myself, am I placing the warfighter first? Am I building relationships or tearing them down? Am I being professional or not? And it's really easy to break my own command philosophy, and I do it every day. So I'm constantly working to improve. And then the last piece is just making sure you and your people know where your organization lies in the bigger picture. Where are you in the broader universe? Who are your touch points? Who do you need to keep informed? And a lot of people tell me, well, it must be easy for you. You're a flag officer. Well, let me tell you, I have at least two bosses, maybe more. And so the complexity just increases. So uh, you got to know where, where you stand. So I'll wrap up by uh, with one last point. Um, after all of this, you may be thinking to yourself, gosh, I got to write command philosophies. I've got to update my mission statement. I got to make sure my priorities are clear. I got to talk to people. I've got to listen. I've got to reflect back. And the fact is, it does take time. And when you tell me you don't have time, I will tell you, you do. It is the only currency you have in this corrupt world. So take the time to schedule it. One of the things I do now is every day, uh, unless I have some sort of conflict, I schedule a half hour just to talk to people. And I rotate through the organization from top to bottom. And I learn a lot. And I have three simple questions. Where are you from? How did you get to MBA? What's your current family situation? And if there is time, I'll ask, what is your leadership style? I learn a lot from those conversations and I'm listening in those conversations. I'm asking questions and I'm dropping compliments. All right, Matt, that wraps it up for me. Well, thank you, Admiral. So uh, we'd like to transition now to some of the questions we've received from the EDO community. Uh, first question, and you talked a lot about your, your leadership principles and, and uh, kind of how you go about um, your philosophy on leadership, but how did you define those and how did you develop those? Yeah, I think uh, through, through time, you know, uh, you know, I mentioned that uh, you're asked uh, all the time, uh, or people will, will tell you, they'll give you leadership points along the way. One of my favorite ones was from Lieutenant Llewellyn when I was in baby SWAS school, surface warfare officer school. And he looked at all of us and he says, number one leadership principle, and it'll never change. You got to act like you know what you're doing. And I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was, I went home and I told my dad about it. And he goes, son, it's absolutely true. You got to fake it to make it. I mean, those sorts of things just keep coming out, right? And then I observe other leaders, right? I ask people all the time, who, who is your inspiration, right? And you hear everything from my dad, 
my mom, my sister. Um, there are a lot of, lot of different uh, ingredients that come in, but I think the most important thing for any leadership philosophy, like for mine, you know, time, taking care of the team and, and taking care of your character, it really comes down to do you own it, right? Do you really feel passionate about your leadership principles and the approaches that you take? Because if you don't, if you're just reading it from a book, and trying to reflect someone else's ideas, you lack authenticity, you are not genuine, and people can see right through that. So you gotta internalize it, it's gotta be yours. Just like my command philosophy, I own it, it is mine. And I'm the first one to tell you when I've busted it. In fact, I ask my team all the time, hey, if I'm doing something that breaks professionalism or destroys relationships or doesn't have me focused on getting war fighting capability out to the fleet, then I want you to tell me. And people knock on my door on a regular basis saying, hey, Admiral, you probably shouldn't say that the way you just said it. You probably shouldn't use this tone of voice. You probably should not have said that word. And I always appreciate that. Having guardrails is great. So I learned from everybody is really the bottom line, Matt. Well, thank you for that, Admiral. So I mentioned earlier that I got to watch you transition into the seat as the uh, MDA director. And one of the things that really impressed me was your ability to definitely but swiftly bring about some really needed some changes in the culture and how the agency operated. Uh, so if you go into a command knowing you need to change the culture, how do you manage that change? Yeah. Hey, yeah, great, great question on managing change. I will tell you that every leader that walks into a job, everyone that's listening to this podcast has walked into a tour where they knew they needed to change something, right? Sometimes it's the hard thing like culture. Sometimes it's guidance and policy. Sometimes it's the organization so that you're moving in the right direction. So just using MBA as an example, I knew coming in the door that there were still some deep-rooted cultural things that I had to go solve. We also knew we were taking on some major mission areas, and I had to go in and adjust the organization. And that meant looking at it from the bottoms up and coming from the top down. And we did a major reorganization last year. So where do you start? Typically, if you're trying to change something, I would say go to the guidance of policy, go to what is written down, because you have to know from that, is it an implementation issue or is a policy just bad? So I will tell you within the Missile Defense Agency, we've got great policy and guidance. I've personally gone through the guidance and policy on, say, racism, right? It's a kind of a big issue right now. So I wanted to see if we had a cultural problem that I could define through policy or guidance. I found nothing there. And then I looked over to see what our training program looks like. We have a rock solid training program. And guess what? 100% uh, completion of training, right? So if we do have issues in the agency, where does it come from? Well, I've drawn the conclusion now, and I'm still on this journey, that it is individual actions. And so we've got to go work to go snuff that out. So I would say very simply, if, you want to, if you're trying to just uh, come up with a simple answer or how you affect change, you've got to have a baseline. You've got to know where you're at so then you can make improvements uh, from there. Well, thanks, Admiral. So last question before we let you go. Uh, do you have any good book recommendations for us? I do. I tell you, I think about books all the time. Um, and I will tell you that the more people I talk to, I'm finding that the fewer people take the time to read books. So I'm not going to give you a lecture on reading. Um, but what I will tell you is that the author I'm going to mention to you is available on YouTube. He does podcasts. Uh, he's got his own uh, station. And I'm a big fan uh, because of what he writes is not about politics. I'm just sort of tired of politics and I don't need the opinion. What I love is he's into something called geopolitics. And it's sort of you, you stand where you sit, you know, England, the UK, they're an island country. Therefore, they want a big navy, right? They don't have natural resources. Japan, another island nation, lack of resources, 
build a big Navy, got themselves in trouble about 70 years ago. And so it just kind of gives you a general idea of why people do what they do. Why did the Russians go into the Ukraine, right? To build a buffer from Europe because they have a history of being attacked from Europe. Uh, and George Friedman's his name. It's spelled Friedman, George, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. And uh, he did two great books. Uh, one that I, that really got me turned on to him was called Next 100 Years, The Next 100 Years. And I think you would like that book, particularly as naval officers, because it's got a maritime theme to it. It's very positive towards the Navy. And again, because he views life from your geography, right? If you look back off on Google Maps and look at the United States, we're an island nation, big Pacific Ocean to the left, Arctic to the north, big Atlantic Ocean to the right, and you got the south. And so a pretty fascinating book about the future. And he is a forecaster based on decisions that are made based on your geography and the makeup of your country. Uh, and he did a recent book last year called The Storm Before the Calm, which was was not written with the current political situation in mind. But boy, when you read the book, it sure seems like he was looking into a crystal ball. So I really enjoyed uh, George Friedman's uh, writings. And again, he does podcasts and he's on YouTube. Well, thanks for that uh, recommendation, Admiral. I'm going to look forward to, to, to getting some of his material and start reading through that. So, hey, Admiral, you know, I can't have a conversation with the MDA director without congratulating you and the rest of the missile defenders on the success of FTM-44. That was quite an achievement. Really got the, uh, the building out here in Pacific Fleet kind of spun up. We were happy to see all that, uh, all that good work. Hey, uh, thank, thanks, man. And since, since you brought it up, I, I just have to, you know, for those who haven't uh, Googled FTM-44, Flight Test uh, Maritime 44, the mighty USS John Finn DDG-113, a new construction integrated air missile defense destroyer operating outside its design space, you know, to take down an ICBM. Uh, we did that through some very tough restrictions uh, based on the current pandemic, uh, got it done, and uh Great target operations, great range operations, lots of support from the Army, lots of support uh, from the Navy and from the general public. It was a congressionally directed test uh, just to show that we had that capability. So we're really proud of the team and, and what they accomplished. And I can't tell you how proud I am of USS John Finn. Yes, sir. Well, I know I feel a lot better out here on the island knowing the effectiveness of the warfare systems that we're deploying. So but Admiral, again, thank you so much for joining us and we hope to have you back here soon. Hey, great, Matt. Hey, thanks. You, you were an awesome host. I really appreciate the time today. Take care, everybody. Thank you for joining us in the wardroom. Special thanks to our sound engineer, Lieutenant Andrew Rowley. If you have questions you would like our guests to answer, comments, or suggestions, you can email us at thewardroompodcast at gmail.com or tweet or follow us on Twitter at wardroompodcast. Join us next time for a conversation with Rear Admiral Seiko Okano, Program Executive for Integrated Warfare Systems, for a conversation on women in leadership. We look forward to meeting again in the wardroom.